0: At loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: No one likes to experience God's punishment, His judgment, His discipline. But if we are living disobediently, that is exactly what we ought to expect. And God's discipline of His people is not to ultimately destroy us, but to turn us away from those things that have tempted us, those things that have seduced us, those things that have caused us to think against the truth of God. So when you're going through a difficult time, obviously, what do we want? We want it to stop. But it's not going to stop We're not going to grow and mature in light of this discipline unless we begin to think in light of the Word of God, the will of God, and all that's only possible when we make a commitment to the truth of God. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to Psalm 79. Now, this 79th Psalm is a difficult one. We read about the people suffering greatly, and obviously, no one likes to witness others suffering. We don't rejoice with God's discipline upon his people. That is what Esau did and his descendants. We want people to be repentant. We want people quickly to turn back to God so that suffering That discipline, those difficult things, come to an end. That's our heart when fellow believers are suffering. And we see here that the author of this 79th Psalm, Asaph, this is what he wants as well. His heart is bent to the people, and it disturbs him their suffering. So he's interceding to God in order that the punishment, the discipline might come to an end well look with me to that location psalm 79 and verse 1. the first thing that we encounter once again i've mentioned it to you where it says ms moore lay asaf a psalm of asaf he's the author and this is what he writes god nations These are the Gentiles. And it's a word that speaks in this context, those who have no covenantal relationship with God. These are not God's people. These are the heathen. These are those who have rejected any any calling of God that, that may have come their way. They're not interested in the one who created all things. They're not interested or committed to righteousness truth holiness all of these things are foreign to them and what are they doing look again oh god the nations they have come into your inheritance now that word inheritance needs to be understood in two ways inheritance can relate to the land itself so first the enemy has come into the land of israel Hath crossed into the borders of israel secondly this term for inheritance as we'll see at the end of our study can relate to the people that that israel is god's inheritance and we see in the new covenant for example in hebrews chapter 3 and there's other places as well but in hebrews chapter 3 messiah our great high priest's See, he's redeemer, but instead of him being called in this section, the servant, he's called the son. Why? A servant serves, but he has no inheritance but the son. Yes, he too serves his father, but he has an inheritance. And what is Messiah's inheritance? You and me, his new covenant people. And therefore, when we look here, it says that the enemy, they have come into your inheritance. And what have they done? They have defiled your holy sanctuary. Now, I would underscore that, that term sanctuary. I believe many translations will simply say the word for temple. But this is not the word temple. The word temple sometimes it's a word buy it for house as in the house of god sometimes it's bethamekdash the holy house is another way the temple is spoken of but this is the word "hechal," which refers to more often than not the holy place or the most holy place the holy of holies and this is where the very presence of god Hashem what many people in English call the Shekinah glory, this is where the presence, the glory of God rested. And these individuals came in order to defile that place. What are we being told? These people, they don't want God's presence in this world. They want God to remain in the heavens and they control and they rule over this creation. So they have defiled your holy sanctuary and they had placed and notice again where's his sanctuary jerusalem they have placed jerusalem as a destruction and the word for destruction here is in the plural some bibles may translate it heaps as in heaps of destructions of ruins and this could be and i want to emphasize could be a reference to the destruction of the first temple. It could be prophetic in regard to a message for those who are part of the second temple destruction that took place in 70 AD. But be assured, God's people are suffering. And there is an attack against the temple and the holy city of Jerusalem. Look now to the second verse, verse 2 these enemies what's called goyim the nations they have set and the next word is for a decaying corpse so a dead body they have placed the body of your servants for food what type of food food for the birds of the heavens so those birds in the sky they're eating the dead corpses of the servants of God. And the flesh of the gracious ones now this can be termed the pious ones, chasadim It says, "The flesh." this is a word that can be translated meat." So again, the bodies of the pious ones, those who are motivated by the grace of God, they have become meat for the the animals of the earth the the beast of the land so we see here of God's people there is much death and there's disrespect for those as they are being consumed their decaying dead bodies are being consumed by the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the earth verse 3. we see again an image that is very disheartening and disturbing where it says in verse 3 they have poured out their blood as water now this is a reference for abundance so there's been abundant bloodshed and notice what he says they have poured out their blood the blood of the servants of God and the 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 Gracious ones, the pious ones of God, their blood has been poured out as water, meaning in abundance. And this is true, which means in abundance around Jerusalem, this holy city. It seems to be ground zero for this, this attack of the enemy and much of the destruction and suffering and death of God's people. And then I would, would highlight the end of this verse where it says at the end of verse 3, meaning there's no one to bury. Now, what does that mean? No one is burying these dead individuals. And biblically speaking, when there is no burial, this is a, a description of shame. We are commanded in the Torah to put the dead ones out of our sight. It's disrespectful to look upon one who is dead. This is not what scripturally minded people do. We put the dead as quickly as possible out of our sight. We give them a burial of honor, a burial of dignity. But this is not what's happening here. There's no one who is going around burying the dead and therefore for that reason notice how the context supports this verse four Asaph is speaking about the people of God the children of Israel where he says and we have become a disgrace this word we have become a disgrace to our neighbors and then two words the word la'ag, and the word kales. What does that mean? La'ag a mockery, and this next word is like it. It speaks about derision. It speaks about uh, ridicule. So we have become a mockery and a scorn or a ridicule to those that are around us. Verse five. In verse five, we see that Asaf, who is witnessing this, whether it's through a vision whether it's through revelation or whether it's through his own eyes and there seems to be a hint from the text that indeed we're speaking about that which he himself witnessed verse verse five ad ma which means until what now if your bible translates this until when it's not literally correct to say this it's word ma and not Matai, Admatai, until when, but Adma, until what? What he's asking is this, what has to happen? What must take place in order for there to be a change? That this destruction, this, this suffering, this bloodshed, this shame, this disgrace upon God's people that it would come to an end. So he writes, until what, O Lord? does does your anger your anger is it going to be forever so what has to happen for your anger to stop so is your anger going to be forever he writes will your jealousy burn like fire and again forever is there not coming an ending to this now some scholars point out and i would agree with them that the term here for anger and jealousy implies it brings into the context that god's displeased with the people when it says that god is a jealous god it's usually because israel has gone after idols they have turned away and went after false gods they are are succumbing to temptation they have been seduced to do that which is dishonorable and rebellious against the instructions of god so it's this verse verse 5 that that gives us a hint that israel's suffering god's discipline his punishment is upon them verse 6 and this same ideology is continuing because it says in verse 6 pour out your wrath and the implication is not on us but but pour out your hot anger pour it out upon the nations whom do not know you the implication is we know you what does that mean we're your covenant people asaf is reminding god now understand this in the right way god knows all things god doesn't forget anything but he's wanting to remind god why this concept of remembering relates to covenant We see so frequently in the biblical text when that word to remember or to remind someone, when that word appears, it's usually within a context that points to the covenant. So look again. He says, pour out your anger upon the nations, those who have no covenant with you, because they do not know you and upon the kingdoms, which in your name, they do not call. So they don't know and they do not respond to you, God. They don't call upon you, meaning they are a prayerless people. They are not invoking the name of the Lord. And this is so important when we ignore God's name, we're also ignoring the character of God. I've shared so frequently the connection biblically between the biblical word name, Shem, and the character of God. So the name of God relates to the character, the attributes, the identity of God. And these people, what the psalmist is saying, are ignoring God. God is not part of their thought process. Verse seven, for he eats up and this is the people the people that don't belong to god now it's in the third person singular but it says for he meaning all of these individuals a people singular but we need in our english minds to translate it for they eat up yakov who's yakov the people of god the children of israel remember how that covenant it began with avraham then went to yitzchak not to Yeshmael, and from yitzchak to yaakov and not to Esav. and then after yaakov that next generation the children of jacob bene yaakov the sons of jacob so they are after they are warring against the jewish people for they devour they want to destroy yaakov and the the habitation they have destroyed so his habitation literally the habitation of jacob they have wanted to destroy and this is very prophetic in the sense that in the last days we know something all say that again all are going to come up every nation they're going to come up for war against jerusalem They are going to want to destroy that land and turn that land, which is supposed to be a holy land, a land that's set apart for the purposes of God. These enemies are going to want to turn it away from that for their own selfish purpose, for their desires. Where do they get those desires? They have been seduced. They have been tempted by the enemy. Their unrighteous desires, they do not relate to the will of God. So they have come against the habitation, his habitation, for destruction. They've set it as a desolation. Verse 8. He says, Do not remember our iniquity. Now, this is another hint that this is all coming upon them because of their own guiltiness. So Asaf says, Do not remember our iniquity. And here it's avonot rishonim. Don't remember our former iniquities. It's in the plural. Now, this gives us some insight because let's be honest, we're all guilty. We all struggle with sin. There's those personal flaws that each of us have. We call them flaws, but they're really strongholds of the enemy that that influence us in a wrong way and what it's saying here is this God don't remember our former iniquities don't remember them but here again remember your covenant quickly put him forth that's what it means put us forth quickly put us forth where with your mercy and mercy is in the plural as it normally is abundant mercy so don't give us what we deserve the consequences of our iniquities those former previous iniquities but God move us forward into your mercy and do it when the word Maher quickly so asaf is right what we need so frequently is simply God's mercy and that's why i say and you should write this down and remember i should pray to experience god's mercy someone says well i'm a believer i've accepted the gospel i have to experience his mercy wonderful yes you have but but that need for mercy is ongoing and it is wise hear that it is wise for you frequently to say god I am so desperate in need of your mercy. God, don't focus in on my previous iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Don't do not do that. But move me forward, like he says here. Cause them to progress quickly to your mercy. For, notice the state of the people, for we are very weak. Now this word... The Hebrew word dal means something that is meager, something that, that is so scarce, few, something that is not abundant at all. And this word usually speaks about the sustenance of life. And dal means someone in regard to those things they truly need to live. They're very scarce. They're very meager. There's not much of it. And therefore, Asaph is saying, in regard to the people, we are in a desperate situation. What does that mean? God, I need you. And how wise it is for us to recognize daily our need for God. The problem is this. Oftentimes, it's only, hear this, it's only when we are being attacked by the enemy or that we're suffering because of our previous transgressions iniquities sin and we're experiencing god's judgment then oh yeah i need mercy i i need god's provision i i need god to help me i'm in a desperate situation no we are all in a desperate situation without god's favor we we cannot move forward so he says here move us forward quickly to your mercy, for we are very desperate. We might translate this word very much impoverished in the fullest sense of being poor, spiritually, physically, materially. That's who we are, verse verse nine. Now, what he's praying for, well, let's just summarize, help. They need God's help and Asaph is instructing them we need god's help so it says verse 9 help us O god of our salvation this is who our god is he is a saving god god is there and when we are in that covenantal relationship where we're in that framework we can look to him and expect him to save let me say it another way for him to deliver us despite our sin despite our iniquity despite where we may have have wandered off to we call upon god god remember your covenant that is a call god work in my life according to your covenantal promises and do what help me verse verse 9 help us O God of our salvation, concerning a matter. What matter? The glory of your name. Now, this is where it gets very, very important. This is foundational. What Asaph is speaking about is our foundational calling. Let me ask you a question. How is it that you would answer, that you would respond to, to this question? what is your primary objective for your life how would you answer that now the best way to answer it is right what's here in this verse in the middle of verse 9 i'll devour concerning the matter of the glory of his name see here's what is going to bring a change into your life when you are in a situation that situation you should look at and ask yourself god how is it that you want me to glorify your name now in this situation going through this whether it's a good time or bad time if you and here's what success is that if you regardless of where you find yourself and why you find yourself in that position wherever you are you be faithful to glorify the name of God. If you, despite what's going on around you, where you may be, what you're enduring, what you're going through. If you say, God, I glorify you. I worship you. I recognize that your character is a character of perfection. That you, God, you are perfect Your name is forever to be praised. You are the Holy One of Israel. And I want to testify to others that that's who you are. And therefore, I exalt you. I know that you and you alone are worthy. And I praise you. I worship you. If you live with that mindset and you demonstrate that God is glorious by word and deed, in spite of what you're going through that is success that is how we live a praiseworthy life and it's not hard to understand this i'm going through a hard time praise god glorify god for that hard time no he's probably not the source of it that's the enemy or if I'm going through discipline, thank God that he's disciplined me. God, you have gotten my attention. God, I want to repent. I want to turn to you. I want to recommit myself to your purposes, your will, your command. I praise you for that. God, you are working in my life. Always, 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 always seek to glorify the name of God with word and with deed. That is success. And you're going to find this. When you make that your objective, when you're going through difficult times, I don't have a job. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I don't know how I'm going to pay this month's mortgage, this month's rent, whatever it might be. I don't know how I'm going to take care of my responsibilities, but nevertheless, God, i'm going to stop and pause and put you first i'm not going to focus in on what i'm lacking i'm not going to focus and give priority to the enemy i'm going to glorify your name i'm going to praise you i'm going to give you thanks i'm going to adore you i'm going to extol you in the presence of others i'm going to show others despite what i'm going through that i worship god always when that is the way you approach life, you approach your problems, you know what? You are inviting God to be that God of our salvation. That's what he's waiting for. That's what's going to bring a change in your life. Now, is it a magical formula that just drops your provision to you? Probably not, but god is going to get involved he's going to give you perspective he's going to give you provision he is going to make available to you things that you can do in order to to bring change into your life look at the last part of verse 9 where it says and deliver us see it's only when i and focus upon glorifying his name that i can expect that, God, you would deliver us and atone concerning our, tra- our sin on account of your name. What is this? Well, this is one of the reasons why we give glory to his name, because our God delivers. Our God atones for sin. In fact, he redeems us from sin. And he does this because of his name. That's his character. That's his attribute to respond in this way. Look now to, to verse 10 why should the nations that they should say literally why have the nations said where is their god see what asaf is saying is this the enemy looks and because you're not focused as you should be on that primary foundational objective to worship god to praise god to give glory to his name when you're not doing that god's going to be distant from you you may have a covenant but you're not going to be reaping covenantal benefits so the enemy they have said where is their god next part of verse verse 10 may it be known literally it will be known among the nations before our eyes meaning these very ones that are bringing this destruction upon us it will be known among the nations before our eyes what the retribution this is the vengeance the vengeance of god the vengeance of the blood of your servants that has been spilled that has been shed so god is going to bring vengeance his vengeance a godly vengeance upon them that retribution god is able to pour out but if if we're not praising him we're not committed to him we're not worshiping him we're not serving him we're not turning towards him then god's not going to demonstrate himself in our situations to show us his power so the vengeance of the lord he's willing but you and i must respond as asaph is teaching us so that will be the reality verse 11 will come before you and the implication is what will come before you o lord on a asir now asir is a prisoner and what we have here is a prisoner that is in the dungeon in that, that betkele, in the prison. And this is a, a hard place to be, especially in those days. Probably still is today to be in prisons, whether you are righteously convicted or innocently convicted, meaning you did not commit the crime, but you're there. Understand, God knows how hard it is. And when we, as a nation, turn back to him, It is going to bring about change whereby the crying out, and this is a word for for groanings. It is a word that speaks about one that is truly, truly suffering, that 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 pain is is causing him to to make sounds of groanings and, and such. So will come before you the groaning of the prisoner and that grody is going to be matched with what as the greatness this this great arm of yours now this term for the arm of the lord is a reference to messiah so this greatness the the largeness the bigness of the arm of god which is a reference to your messiah what will he do he is going to release And it says, "Bene, timuta, The ones who have had a death sentence placed upon them that the enemy wants to kill. They're in prison waiting to be executed. God's going to do what? God is going to set them free. God's going to release them. Now let's look at verse verse 12. Return to our neighbors. Now those neighbors... Another, another way of saying our enemies. It's the neighbors who have come into the borders of Israel and who are doing this. So return, meaning place upon them, place that vengeance upon our neighbors, our enemies, sevenfold. And, and place it in hek. Chek is their, their chests. And it's a reference to the very essence. So in, the ver- in their very essence, place sevenfold, what? Their disgrace, their shamefulness, which, and it's not about us, but when God's people are, are being afflicted, that is an attack against God. And that's why he says, return upon our neighbors our enemies sevenfold and place it into their very being into their bosom their disgrace which they have disgraced you my lord now there's a change usually when we think of my lord we think of that word for for the yud Hey this transcendent name of god but this is the word literally written out spelled out not what we pronounce but what is written out adonai now this is different than you hate vav this is the word which speaks about adonai meaning my master the one who i'm called to submit to last verse verse 12 verse 13 excuse me last verse verse 13 and we are your people how by covenant that's the implication and we are your people and the flock of your pastor and what do we do god we are your people we are that flock in your pastor where you want us to be and therefore we will give thanks to you forever this again is what we are called to do give thanks to god god and you can see this for example In the book of Numbers chapter 11, God hates complaining. If you want to grow spiritually, remove complaining from from your behavior. Now, you can offer some, some constructive criticism in love with a smile on your face in a way that shows, I want the very best for you. I want God to be glorified in that situation. But that's very different than complaining so what are we called to do to demonstrate gratitude so it says here based upon who we are that we are your people we are the flock of your your pastor therefore we give thanks to you when for ever that means in every circumstance always we give thanks to you forever from generation to generation we will tell now it's a word for telling speaking but it's the same root for numbering so we will count out we will make known we are going to tell your and notice what it says tilatecha, your praise what does that imply even in this situation god always has a reason for you and me to praise him And there's numerous reasons. We can just go through them, A to Z, Aleph to Tav, Alpha to Omega. Tell people why God is praiseworthy. This is our our basic foundational call as the people of God, the sheep of his field. We're called to praise him. So we will tell of your, your, we will give thanks to you Forever. And we will tell, we'll count out why you are praiseworthy, O God, all your praises. I believe that this Psalm, Psalm 79, is foundational for bringing a righteous change, a glorious change into your life. So if you need God's help, if you need God's deliverance, if you need him to move and to manifest himself as the God of your salvation today, then this seventy night psalm has a lot of wisdom in order to bring such a change into your life. Well I'll close with that. Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again to find out more about us, please visit our website